0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 1030 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. This morning, we're going to be in the Luke chapter 15. Uh, If you've been in a church for any length of time, you're probably familiar with this story. Uh, But, um, boy, you can never hear it too often. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip down to verse 11. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And then he tells them two other parables. And then he gets this third. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, The younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country. He began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have enough bread to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran out and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine that was dead and is alive again. He, got, he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and when he came, "'and approached the house. "'He heard music and dancing. "'He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. "'He replied, your your brother has come, "'and your father has killed the fatted calf "'because he got him back safe and sound. "'Then he became angry and refused to go in. "'His father came out and began to plead with him, "'but he answered his father, "'Listen, for all these years, "'I've been working like a slave for you. "'I've never disobeyed your command, "'yet you've never given me even a young goat "'so that I might celebrate with my friends.' But this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fatted calf for him. And then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Many of y'all know this about me. Uh, Some of you you probably don't, but I began my illustrious educational career at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Go Jackets. I know that's controversial in this place, but I stand in my truth.
1: And I love Georgia Tech.
0: It was some of the best times of my life. I love the traditions there. In fact, we were at the College Football Hall of Fame this past week and there was a place where you could do a theme a uh, uh, fight song karaoke. And I sat there and I realized how much of the Georgia Tech fight song you can't repeat in church, first of all. But second of all, just sit there and listen to it, no other school has a better fight song. I'm sorry. It's great. You get to cuss all over the song. It's wonderful. A lot of my friends in campus ministry so good Uh, I I volunteered around the Atlanta area and I loved it I loved almost everything about Georgia Tech except for that one small little detail about going to class I I didn't love that part I I didn't especially love the homework or the studying either Uh, you might have noticed that I started my educational career at Georgia Tech but I did not finish it there (laughs) Uh, cause it turns out, uh, you have to study there. Like you have to actually apply yourself really hard. Even if you're a smart person, you can't just like skate by. I thought I could just breeze in there like I did in high school and, and slack off. But, uh, that's not how that place runs. So after about three semesters of having just the best time at Georgia Tech, they uh, gave me a nice little Christmas present my second year in the form of a letter that said, how about you don't come back? (laughs) And I flunked out of Georgia Tech. So I had to make this drive from from Atlanta back to Augusta. Oh, no, I was in Augusta when I got the letter. I had to go to Atlanta, pack up my dorm room, get all of my stuff, and then take it back to my parents' house, feeling like just an utter failure. It was not fun. Right. And I look back on that time in my life and I can see myself for what I was. I was a real knucklehead. I was just a kid, what, 19 years old and I had so much to learn about life. And, and that failure taught me something about work ethic, about studying that I would need to develop later on in my life to be able to succeed at anything. So I took that failure and thank God I learned from it and I grew from it. And I bring this up because this is not an uncommon story in our culture. People call them boomerang kids, kids that their parents finally get them out of the house. And then a couple years later, they boomerang right on back to move in. And I was one of them. I went out in the world for a little while and I couldn't hack it. I had to go back and live with my parents. It's this cultural phenomenon, and many an internet think piece has been written about the rise of boomerang children uh, and emerging adults and emerging adulthood and, and what parents are supposed to do for it, and this is such a common phenomenon in American culture these days that I think it's colored the way that we read the story of the prodigal son. We kind of see him as this boomerang kid. He's this knucklehead who sets out on his own, makes some dumb mistakes, has to eat with the pigs for a second, and then goes back and moves in with mom and dad, where they kind of put him back together and, and help him. But that's actually not a very accurate way to read the son, the story of the prodigal son. In fact, when, when Jesus told the story to the original hearers of it, he carefully crafted his words, to make the sun seem as horrible as humanly possible. In the ancient Jewish world, they would not have read this story and thought about a knuckle-headed boomerang kid going back and living with his parents. That's not what they would have heard. To their ears, they would have heard, this kid's a monster. He is a human monster. He does not deserve it. You see, back in that culture of the day, the family relationship was everything to them. It was the basic unit of governing the world. If you, committed to crime, they don't, if you committed a crime, they don't take you to court. They send you back to your daddy, and your daddy deals with you. There's no social safety net except for the father's house who takes care of you. If you're a man and you get married, you move into an add-on on your parents' house. Your father's house, respect and honor of your family was one of the highest cultural values that they had. Their whole society, their whole culture breaks down if people don't honor their parents. They cannot have a life or society If people go around acting the way this kid acted toward his dad. So when the son asked for his inheritance early, this is unheard of. It's like he was saying to his dad, I can't wait until you die. In fact, I wish you were dead now. Let's pretend like you're dead so I can have all the stuff and I don't have to see you anymore. It's so hard to overstate how wrong that would have been to the people that initially listened to the story. Not only that, in order for the son to cash out his half of the family land, that would have meant that they would have had to sell the family land. You don't sell the family land back in that day. You just don't do it. So not only does this son get to hate on his dad and go and live however he wants to and get in all kinds of sin and trouble, now the dad has half of his land that's being tilled and sold and and grown by a stranger. His family land that his dad owned and he has worked all of his life now belongs to someone else because this son went out and did
1: what he did. When the son went to this
0: foreign land and wasted all of his money, that was pretty unheard of too. Wastefulness was a big problem in ancient culture. They believe you've been blessed with what you've been blessed with, and to waste it foolishly was not just stupid, it was wrong. An uncaring, unfeeling thing to do. So this is a guy who has metaphorically killed his father, divided his family land, sent his family into a crisis that they could not easily recover from, and then gone, and then he didn't even make anything of it. He just flushed it all down the toilet. It's hard to get our minds around how terrible the prodigal son would have seemed to this audience that first heard it. We're not talking about a knuckleheaded boomerang kid. We're talking about a monster. A few years ago, uh, there was this guy in the news that I think helps us to understand this son a little bit better. His name was Bo Bergdahl. I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, there's this guy named Bo Bergdahl who was serving in Iraq, Iraq, Iran. Oh man, Afghanistan. That's where he was. I should have written that down in the sermon, but I didn't. (laughs) He was in Afghanistan and he did something that you just don't do in the military. He was, he just walked off of his posts, abandoned his brother in arms And just walked into the desert. He decided he'd have enough. He didn't want to serve his country anymore. He didn't agree with what was going on in Afghanistan. And so he said, I'm just going to leave. And he took off. And got captured by the Taliban.
1: You just don't do that in the military.
0: And, and, and. He got walked off and captured, and then a few years later, he he was held by the Taliban for this whole time. A few years later, they negotiated his release with a few other prisoners. And there are people that got mad about the fact that the U.S. gave anything up to get this kid back. Because if this kid wanted to be safe, he shouldn't have just walked off the duty. He was a traitor to the United States, and we should not—these people believe that we shouldn't give anything to get a traitor back. I'm not going to relitigate what the rightness and wrongness of that. But what I'm saying is that when we hear the story of the prodigal son, we should hear less Boomerang Kid and more Bo Bergdahl. We should hear, this guy is a traitor. He did the one thing that you don't do, and then he got in trouble for it, and now he wants to come back and act like it didn't happen. And you just can't do it. You can't. He's a traitor. So I have no doubt that in the first half of the story, the whole audience that was first listening to it was solidly in the camp of the older brother. They probably would have expected to, this story to end with the prodigal and the pigpin reaping the rewards of his treachery. He'd done something that was unforgivable, and so they probably expected the story that Jesus was telling to be a morality tale about reaping the rewards of the sin and that, that the son would get his just desserts. They probably would have expected the story to end with the prodigal son in the pig pen thinking, boy, I wish I hadn't done that to my dad. Fall over dead, the end. <laughs> and that's the kind of, of tale that I'll bet they thought they were hearing. Jesus was warning against turning against your family. Jesus was warning against doing the kinds of things, living in the sin that, that ought not be living. But then something crazy happened in the story. Jesus did not end the story of the prodigal son in the pig pen. The son went back, and the father forgave him. Not only did the father forgive the unforgettable, unforgivable traitor to his family. He took him back in as a son and then threw a party for him. Y'all, this would have been seen as incredibly scandalous. This story has gone from morality tale that we understand to a fairy tale that doesn't make a
1: lick of sense. The people
0: listening to this story would have thought about this father and if he was actually in front of them they would have had have some self-respect man don't just let this kid who practically wanted to murder you back in you shouldn't do this it's not smart it's not it's not prideful you you need to have some self-respect and turn this kid away They would have heard that this older brother got angry, and they would have said, yeah, I'd be angry too. He had every reason to be upset. We tend to say this older brother as a stick-in-the-mud, jealous guy, but he had a definite point. Why does the brother who abandons his post commits treachery and commits every kind of sin imaginable getting the party?
1: It is a scandal. It would have been a scandal to the people that heard it first. But I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Grace is scandalous. Grace, by
0: its definition, is unfair. Grace takes what we think ought to happen and flips it on its head we like to read this story and see ourselves in the prodigal son's position. We like to think about how God's grace for us is so big and so scandalous and so, so wonderful. But we also don't like to imagine ourselves as being quite all that bad. I'm like the prodigal son, the knucklehead, not the prodigal son, the traitor. I haven't done anything that bad, right? So I like to see myself as this knucklehead who goes off and makes some mistakes and then comes back to his father in dramatic fashion and is welcomed in open arms. But that's not the picture that Jesus was painting. We're not knuckleheads. Our sin does not make us boneheads. It makes us traitors to God. We did the one thing that we weren't supposed to do. We've all sinned. We've all abandoned our posts. We've all betrayed the great love of God. Our sin isn't a boneheaded decision. It is treachery. And yet,
1: God's love for us keeps getting extended.
0: But that's not all. Not only did God extend his scandalous love to us, he has extended it to other people too. He gives his grace to the person that you think is too far gone. he gives it to the person that you think will never change. He gives his grace to the person that you think doesn't deserve it to the person that I think doesn't deserve it. He's given his grace to the tax collectors and the sinners. that was the whole context of the story people were wondering why Jesus ate with the tax collectors and sinners It's because God's grace is every much for the person that we think doesn't deserve it as it is for us. We love to raise our hands and worship and sing Reckless Love and think about how God's scandalous love is for us. But when it comes to those people, man, we exhibit some big older brother energy, don't. When we see people treated with scandalous grace that They don't deserve, we puff up. They don't deserve this. They'll become dependent on it. They'll just take advantage of God's grace. They don't, they'll just expect some cheap grace all the time. We can't, we can't give those people a break. We can't give the real sinners a break. Us knuckleheads, we get to have the, we get to have the big, elaborate, scandalous grace of God, but it's too much of a scandal to, to give it to the people who are in prison. It's too much of a scandal to give it to our enemies. It's too much of a scandal to give it to the people that
1: are in sin that we don't understand.
0: Why is it that we want God's grace to be big and scandalous and unfair as long as it's directed toward us? But when the people that we disapprove of want to lay claim to that same grace— we chafe against it. Brendan Manning, uh, who's a great author that I love, uh, wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, and he says, Jesus says that the kingdom of his father is not a subdivision for the self-righteous, no, nor for those who feel they possess the state secret of salvation. The kingdom is not an exclusive, well-trimmed suburb with snobbish rules about who can live there. No. It is for a larger, homelier, less less self-conscious cast of people who understand that they are sinners because they have experienced the yaw and the pitch of moral struggle. He's right.
1: The kingdom is not a curated, manicured, proper place for
0: those of us who have our lives together. The kingdom is a place where the extravagant, scandalous love of God covers our sins, covers our traitorous past, and is also extended to others. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you don't believe that you deserve the grace of God. Maybe you think that whatever you have done is too bad for God to forgive you. You're not. Jesus specifically designed this story to cover the worst of the worst. And if the father in this story can accept back the prodigal son, then he can do it to you too. Or maybe you're a person who's been scandalized by the people you see receiving grace that you really don't think should. People that have been included in church that you think ought to clean up their act before they walk through the doors of the church. But that's not the case. One of the frustrating things about the story is that there's no clear path, path back to the father for the older son. You know, the younger son comes back in this dramatic fashion and gets forgiven. How does the older son get forgiven? How does the other, older son manage to live in the family? <laughs> and in the hard... Pill to swallow about it is that he just kind of has to get over himself, right? He has to get over himself and join the party. Be willing to celebrate the younger son's return.
1: I don't know where you are today about the grace of God, but I know that if the grace of God
0: doesn't make me feel scandal, then it's probably not good enough if I'm not scandalized by how God offers his grace to me and to everyone, then I don't understand the grace of God well enough. So today, we are going to come to the altar, and we are going to take communion. While we are at the altar receiving the body and the blood, the grace of God, allow yourself to be immersed in the scandal of what God did for you, and allow yourself to imagine that we can include every person on earth
1: in that scandal they'll just receive. Let's go to God in prayer.
0: God, for too long, I have believed the lie that I understand, that I deserve your grace,
1: (laughs) that your grace is big enough to
0: cover my whoopsie daisies, but it's not big enough to cover the serious, awful sins of the people on the outside. But God,
1: I have failed to see what a big deal my sin is, and I have failed to offer grace to those who need it.
0: Jesus, I pray that you will help us to see past Our short sightedness. See past the ways in which we minimize our own sin and maximize the sin of other people so that we can get about the work of offering
1: your grace to each and every person. Don't
0: make us like the older brother, God. Help us not to have sour grapes when we see people responding to your goodness. But God, make us a people. Extend your
1: grace far and wide so that everybody can know about it and respond to it. In your name I pray. Amen.
0: This morning we're about to come to the table. If you're worshiping with us online, we're about to end the feed so that you don't have to just watch a bunch of people's backs as they come. So go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit encountering the lavish grace of the Father this
1: morning.